It is the 8th of September 2019, you're listening to the Aaron Matters Show here on Liberated Syndication, uh, broadcasting to all the podcast feeds including Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Overcast, Public, Radio Public, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes, Podcast Addict, TuneIn, and various other places as well. By the way, if you do find uh, another place where you can listen to the Aaron Matters Show podcast, please let us know. It's facebook.com forward slash Aaron Matters Show. It's also, Instagram is also at Aaron Matters Show. Uh, Twitter is also at Aaron Matters Show. Show, and also arometa.tumblr.com so plenty of ways to find us on the social medias uh joining me on the show as always is my co-host patricia of the old school lane podcast hey everybody how's it going hey so uh yeah and uh, i have to say a lot has happened since i've been gone so uh by the way i want to issue a bit of an apology because um what happened with the podcast feed something uh happened which was t- entirely my fault um, so, while I was gone, you were supposed to get an episode of Pix Mix, and you are supposed to get an episode of Dream Machine. Now, I just found out that both, uh, both the Dream Machine and the Pix Mix episodes all released at the same time, like the week before I left. So, basically, the weekend while I was off, you didn't get an episode of anything on the podcast feed. So, with that... I apologize. Um, I know I should be keeping weekly schedules of things, but unfortunately, the computer decided to have other ideas and decided to release everything all at the same time. So, uh, yeah. Apologies, guys. My bad. So, uh, yeah. Um, so, anyway, um, by the way, we want to start off the show, and uh, unfortunately, we're starting off on a very sad note, and that is that uh, for all of you who are fans of the Power Rangers, and I've already known this already, but that is that uh, the voice of Lord Zed, uh, Robert Bob Axelrod has sadly passed away at the age of 70. Um, it was announced by his uh, agent company, uh, Mobile Monica, and uh, he had been ill for a considerable while, uh, but unfortunately he has now passed away and uh, leaves behind a incredible legacy in the Power Rangers universe. So. Yes, indeed. And I know a lot of people who are, like, really devastated about Robert's death because um, Lord Zed was, like, their favorite Power Rangers villain amongst the bajillion Power Rangers spinoffs and incarnations that had um, multiple villains. Uh, Lord Zed was definitely one that a lot of people fondly remember. And... Not only that, but he uh, also did his fair share of uh, anime voice acting. He was in a ton of anime throughout um, the 90s and even today. Uh, You know, you may know him from various characters of Digimon as such. So, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, with Robert's passing, he will definitely be missed. Yeah, but he was Lord Zed. I mean, like, he was the defining villain, I think, in the Power Rangers saga. I'm sure sure there's going to be a lot of Power Rangers fans who are going to probably argue, oh, Rita Repulsa, and, you know, various other villains who, I've got to be honest with you, I kind of dragged off Power Rangers after, uh, I think it was Alien Rangers, I think it was, I think, Mm. uh, who had, uh, I mean, well, it got to the point where I just think it was getting a bit stupid, and uh, I I say this because, just in my opinion, I don't mean this to insult uh, the Power Rangers universe, I'm sure there's some great incarnations of Power Rangers out there, I'm sure Linkara will definitely give me a whole lecture <laughs> on uh, <laughs> on, on Power, the Power Rangers universe, but I just felt like, here's the thing about this so we got Rita Repulsa at the very beginning of it all, and I thought, yeah, she's a fun villain, and everything like that, but uh, I just felt that Lord Zed took it to a far more serious tone than I think Rita Repulsa did you know, and I get, you know the whole teenagers with attitude in, uh, you know, in, in, in Angel Grove, 
you know, the whole concept, you know, at least the American concept of Power Rangers was a little bit silly. But, you know, yeah, it, it, was. It, it, was, it, was, it was still fun. You know, it was still, it was still a great thing to look at and still had that, you know, it was still pretty awesome to watch as well, all the, uh, you know, the fighting and things like that. But, and so, but in regards to, like, the tone shift, I mean, I've got to be honest with everybody, I feel like Lord Zed was a big part of that. I think. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean. I mean. I mean. Some of the silliness. I think kind of went away when he hit the scene. And my goodness, did he need a voice? And you know, Bob Axelrod. You know, just knocked it out of the park. You know, he 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 sounded terrifying and he sounded threatening. I think mm-hmm. for for a villain like that. And you know, he, and also he can sound a bit goofy as well from time to time. You know, he could. Um, you know, when he's incompetent, psych. You know, uh, minions. You know, obviously, uh, you know, you could definitely tell that uh, he was either, you know, he just couldn't do anything about it, and he was basically just looked like, a, looked like a shredder approach, I think, to the, uh, to it as well. And uh, yeah, here's an interesting thing. Like, I think that's like an interesting debate to have because you know, you look at uh, how, um, you know, uh, I know, he's, I'm really sorry, his voice goes right out of my head. The guy who voiced Shredder. Um, oh, yeah. um, you're talking about um, you're, you're talking about the original voice, not the um, the current yeah. voice, right? No, yeah, the, the original '80s TMNT, uh, the guy who uh, James 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 Avery. Avery. Yeah, I do apologize for forgetting his name, but uh, he, Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince, pretty much. There you uh, go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, you, you give, give it to him, and you also compare it to Lord Zed, and I think I just feel like the the voice acting, you know, for these these villains that we had, even George Jordrak from uh, the Dreamstone, and I just feel like you know these types of uh, these types of voice actors are very far and few between, in my opinion. You know, to have, have someone that sounds very threatening. I think you know Bob Axelrod when he brought in Lord Zed, and he could you know come across as either threatening or comedic, or you know to do all these types of things with his voice. I just feel like it's a very rare art form. I think that you have nowadays in um, in in voice acting, and that's just mm-hmm. my opinion on this. I mean, I mean, can we really point our fingers at any other voice actor that kind of like you know goes to that degree? I mean, maybe Mark Hamill from the, who plays the Joker in the Batman and the animated series. Maybe you could. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, you could you could make that. Uh, distinction, but come on, you come on, you can't really name various other voice actors who had his talent. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, rest in peace to Bob Axelrod, and uh, our condolences also to Mobile Monica because uh, I, you know, I know Kelly who uh, works over there, and uh, I believe that they were quite close, and so she must be heartbroken at this mo- at this moment. So our hearts go out to her as well, and also her fa- his uh, friends, family, and his fans because uh, I feel like we've lost someone very special today. And exactly. So. And also shout outs to all of uh, the co-hosts that I've had on casual chats who are also huge Power Rangers fans. Last year, um, we actually did a Power Rangers podcast discussing about every single incarnation all the way down to the newest one that's on Nickelodeon right now. And um, we talked about, uh, you know, the best and the worst of them. And we went over, uh, you know, some of our favorite moments and stuff like that. And even the movies. We even talked about the movies and briefly the video games as well. So if you're interested in listening to uh, that podcast, then you can go check out my uh, podcast feed on YouTube. It's currently the longest episode of casual chats i've ever done it's it's almost three hours long so if you're interested in listening to some more power rangers goodness especially in honor of uh, robert axelrod's uh, passing then you know definitely go check it out yeah definitely so um patricia shall we talk about uh, a very interesting announcement that i made a couple of days ago 
Yeah, let's do so. So um, for those of you who aren't aware, I have recently been in contact with Craig Bartlett and he has nicely agreed to once again host the Hey Arnold Anniversary Show. So 2019 Hey Arnold Anniversary Show is going to be hosted by Craig Bartlett and also me giving him the questions. And so a lot of you who are listening to this right now are quite interested to see how you're going to get the questions to him. So uh, let me tell you exactly what you need to do. So the email address is askcraig2019 at aaronmeta.co.uk uh, email those questions into him and uh, what we'll do is because usually because we get a whole lot of questions uh, what we'll do is if we will nail them down to about the most popular questions that get asked and then once we get to the hey on anniversary show uh, we will then ask him all those questions the deadline that i'm going to set for this is going to be the 22nd of september so you guys got two weeks to do it so think of a question for two weeks or get it in right now and then come 22nd of uh, september we're going to close the uh, mailbox, and then we will then do the Hey Arnold Anniversary show on October 7th of 2019. So it's pretty much our big show that we do every year. So you're definitely going to want to check that out. So cool. Yes. Yeah. And, and I'm actually really looking forward to it because um, I'm sure that a lot of people are going to be asking the same old questions about, like, you know, what's going to happen with season six and stuff like that. But there are definitely some questions from Craig that I personally would like to hear, you know, his thoughts and opinions on, like um, some things about the Jungle movie that wasn't able to make it to the original product or maybe some characters from Hey Arnold that um, maybe he would have liked to have um you know, in, uh, you know, given more time for or any behind the scenes stories. So, yeah, I definitely would like to hear some really interesting stories from Craig. Um, so, yeah, I, for anybody who is interested in asking him some questions, then definitely email him. And I, I'm, I'm actually curious about to see what, you know, he his his responses are. You know, you know, what I'll mean? tell you what, I mean, I know we're doing this is going to be a hey on anniversary show, but we also have like any other business as well. And usually they have quite juicy questions. And uh, do you know what uh, questions I love to hear from that particular section of the show? Mm, what? The Rugrats. Ah, yes, the Rugrats questions, because, uh, yeah, some people may not know this, but yeah, uh, Craig Bartlett actually worked on Rugrats during his first season. Yeah, so, I mean, and with it being rebooted at the minute, I mean, I'm definitely interested to see, you know, what's going to come out from that. Yeah, know? that should be really interesting. And, uh, you know, and I know that uh, ZL and I, we do a, a podcast called Rugrats View from the Crib, where we take a look at every season of Rugrats. And I know I should have posted season two up a long time ago, but I've been super, super busy with uh, school and a whole bunch of other projects. But um, we've been looking at the Rugrats news that has been going on over the past month. And um, we've been seeing that there's been a lot of uh, people who are being included into the writing departments, like uh, somebody who wrote on various Fox shows and the Diary of a Wimpy Kid movies. And um, also um, Nickelodeon has been posting on their official website about that they're hiring some more animation artists and um, storyboard artists and production people. So, yeah, I mean, it's still happening. And uh, shout outs to uh, our friend Erica Samiro from Where in Between, which is a, an As Told by Ginger podcast that I did with Casey and Ashley from the Friday Night Nicktoons podcast, where now he is the vice president of the uh, preschool division for Nickelodeon. So, and I, and he's also a part of the Rugrats reboot as well. So, shout outs to him. And uh, also, uh, I another thing that we read online was, uh, I believe, various posts from Michael Bell and uh, Philip Proctor. Uh, Michael Bell vo voiced as um, 
uh, Drew and Chaz and uh, Philip Proctor voices Howard, but they stated that there might be a slight chance that they will not be brought into the Rugrats reboot, mostly yeah. because they have reached a point in which they're a little bit too old to portray their roles, and they're really disappointed because they would, but they would be honored to go back to doing the voices of these characters that they've done for a very, very long time. I'm sure they'll but, find something else to do with them. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, even if it's just guest appearances. I probably imagine that they're, they're, they're going to fight. You remember uh, what uh, Craig Bartlett did with like all the old Arnolds? I mean, was like you know, all of a sudden these bullies just started turning up, you know, like and they're all like old, you know, uh, Arnold, you know, voice actors. So like, uh, I'm pretty sure they could probably do something to uh, kind of bring them into the show. So mm. yeah, and uh, also one thing I just want to bring up also Rugrats related, whilst we're on the kind of on the on the subject of this, and uh, you know, there's been a image that's been floating around. And uh, they, they've been, I don't know why they do this, but uh, they've basically been saying that this image of uh, the, they say this, there's an image going around saying that's the updated version of the Rugrats. Like they've released like a, an image of what they're going to look like. And guys, it's not real. It's someone's fan art. And so I've, I even posted up on the, uh, it, first I think it appeared on the classic Nickelodeon Facebook page and basically just said, look guys, th this this thing is not real. And I even went on, it, it just took a simple Google search to even find what, what this was about. And apparently it was someone's fan art that they posted up on Twitter saying, oh, what would we look like with the rubber rats kind of look like now today? So as far oh, as yeah, I'm aware, yeah. you, remember, you remember that one? Yeah. So guys, take a yes, chill I, pill. I, it's not it, it's not real. Like, you know, uh, I'll calm down. It's someone's fan art. So basically everyone who's been like doing those really stupid gifts and reacting to that, you've basically just been trashing somebody's fan art. So, you know, show some respect and stop commenting on it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. And I, I definitely know about the adult depiction of the Rugrats uh, characters because uh, if you're talking about the one that looks like really realistically proportionate, that looks kind of like odd and weird, that everybody made a, a shit fit a few years ago, that one was done by Eric Malinsky, who actually worked in, as Cl in Klasky Chupo from 1999 to 2002, and whom we've had on the podcast before. We've had him twice. Uh, one to discuss about an episode he personally storyboarded, and another one for a storyboard artist reunion where uh, various other storyboard artists that um, worked on his Told by Ginger talked about what was it like drawing uh, various storyboards on the scripts of his Told by Ginger and the process and all that stuff. So that one was a lot of fun. And... Um, yeah, Eric's a really nice guy. I mean, even though that a lot of people were really upset about his depictions of Rugrats because it didn't look, you know, l nice looking, apparently, it still kind of like retained the classy Chupo art style, which looked kind of ugly. A lot of people stated and he had to apologize for that. Oh, for goodness sake, should tell these guys to fuck off. Like, you know, it's like, uh, if he, he, he created something like, okay, it didn't look all that great, but, uh, you know, it's like, it's... Uh, yeah, I just think that you know, this is the guy who, you know, who's partly responsible for creating your childhood. You know, show some, show some, you know, some, show some class. You mm -hmm. know, just oh my god. Anyway, um, shall we quickly switch gears so I don't get you know angry emails already from uh, from this? But uh, um, I just feel like I want to bring this thing up because I don't think this is brought up enough. I don't think, and that is uh, so. Imagine you're a British citizen. And your you your original roots is that you're actually born in the United States of America as a as a probably like a two you probably lived only there probably like two three weeks you know as a as a as a child as a baby or as a toddler so imagine how bullshit it must be when you are being told that now that because you were born in the United States of America you may now own the 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 uh, the IRS uh, tax. Even though you've not lived in the country for like probably like 20, 30 years. 
Wow. So, yeah, let me put this out. So, tens of thousands of British citizens born in the U.S. who have not left the only in a few months of being or years old having their bank accounts in Britain actually frozen because of intense pressure by the U.S. tax authorities on U.K. banks. Uh, in one case, a 74-year-old living in Cambridge was sent increasingly urgent letters from Barclays demanding her American identification number, even though she left the U.S. on the RMS Queen Elizabeth in 1947 when she was only 18 months old, had, and she had assumed that her U.S. citizenship had actually, had actually lapsed. Uh, the pensioner, who did not want to be named, who, maybe I'll just said that, uh, I felt hounded, I didn't understand U.S. tax law. And why would she? Because she was 18 months old when she left. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. Like, you know, it's like, is the, is, the, is the IRS really that desperate that it's now scraping people who, you know, it just happened that their mom plopped on U.S. soil? And now, all of a sudden, that the result of that now is now forever and a day now having to pay money to the U.S. tax authorities. How on earth is that fair? It's not fair, but they don't care. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um, the U.S. right now is the only country besides Eritrea that taxes non-resident citizens in the global income. And That's ridiculous. I know exactly. In 2010, Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act, a factor. Uh, requires foreign financial firms with U.S. operations, including U.K. banks, to report information about U.S. taxpayers to the Internal Revenue S Service via the HMRC, which is Her Majesty's Royal Custom Royal and Customs. So, uh, basically, if you have a U.K. bank that's also operating in the United States of America, they're obliged to let people know if there's U U.S. citizens currently living in the U.K. who have bank accounts and also they're in Britain. Hmm. Yeah, so I don't think this thing gets enough uh, enough to, enough attention. I think that's just I think that's outrageous. It is exactly. So you know, I really hope that. Uh, I mean, here's the thing about this: um, if Brexit goes ahead, we're going to be going through free trade negotiations with the United States of America. And I guarantee you this. I mean, I don't know whether I feel like I want to write to my MP about this, but I seriously believe that's the stuff like this shouldn't happen. You know, like if you're, yeah, if you happen to be born in the United States, doesn't mean you're you're atoned forever and a day for it. You know, like uh, you're if you're a UK citizen that's been living in the UK for the vast majority of your life, you should be paying taxes in this country, not paying taxes to some country you've never been. You know, you don't even remember. You know, remember at all. You know. Right, so exactly. I just think it's I just think something like this is outrageous. It's one of those it's one of those things where I just feel like I want to write a write a letter about it, really. But hey, hey we are talking about it, so yeah, um, fix this. That's all I've got to say. I think it's just outrageous that that happens. So I wanted to bring it up because I just feel like he doesn't get enough attention. So right. Um, okay, so moving on. Um, we our friend Alex Jones over Yay. at Infowars. <laughs> <laughs> Our guy who believes that uh, the uh, someone's playing with the water to turn the frogs gay. Uh, the guy who believes that 9/11 was an inside job. The guy who believes that uh, you know any government thing is some kind of conspiracy against the uh, American people, and therefore is uh, trying to take their guns and uh, God knows what else. And oh my goodness, you should see the raw story image that they use of him. He looks absolutely he looks absolutely mental in this. Uh, in his image. Not to say that he isn't always mental, pretty much generally. But uh, so I'll give you the line about this. Infowars, a website owned by Alex Jones, has been ordered to pay the full to pay all costs, you know, the full costs to the survivor of the Sandy Hook shooting after an appeal of the defamation lawsuit that was made against him was rejected. 
So the website was sued by Sandy Hook parent uh, Neil Heslin uh, over the conspiracy theory that uh, in 2012, the Sandy Hook Elementary School massacre was a quote-unquote false flag attack orchestrated by the government. Uh, right Wing Watch reported that Infowars had filed an appeal after Sandy Hook parent Neil Heslin uh, presented the court with a motion of contempt in the case, which was clear that the website would not comply with a court order discovery. According to Heslin, uh, Jones has ordered Infowars to delete all social media posts about Sandy Hook. Um, he's well, basically uh, Judge uh, Gisela Terrania. Uh, who commented on the ruling, said, We agree with Heslin that the district court has not yet ruled on uh, applicants' uh, motion to dismiss, nor has the motion been overruled by operation of law. Accordingly, we dismiss the appeal for lack of jurisdiction. So basically, Alex Jones now, uh, I mean, I believe... uh, um, there was a ruling to obviously, you know, I think, I don't, I'm not sure, if it was, was there the other ruling saying they had to pay out more damages as well on top yes. of all of this? Too? Yeah, there was. Okay. So now, he, not only that, he's now going to pay the court costs of uh, for Heslin to be, for him to bring this to a, the, all this all about. Which I say, you know, yeah, I think that's totally fair, to be quite honest with you. Like, uh, this guy, you know, Alex Jones has profited of, you know, ruining these, ruining these people's lives, pretty much. And now, yeah, I mean, saying that the whole thing was a lie and that it never happened, it's like, you're being disrespectful for everybody who had been murdered and all the families who have been affected by it. Exactly, and like, to this day, people still, there's still people out there, some lunatics who believe that this never happened. You know? Yeah. It's just, it's just, this whole thing's just a conspiracy so that we can go get your guns. You know, and so let, let me let me safely say this. You know, in the United States of America, you, you, you know, with the Constitution the way it is, and with some people the way it is, they're not gonna come for your guns. The only way they're gonna come for your guns is if you're gonna kill somebody, and if you're gonna if you're an absolute utter nutcase who is gonna be, uh, you know, gonna be wanting to harm people. You know, mm-hmm. like, did you hear about the case in? Uh, I think it was in Washington State. Wasn't there a guy who uh, was making like threats on social media or something like that? So uh, they swooped in, took his guns away, and then they um, they like um, um, uh, they also committed him as well to a mental institution. Oh jeez. So, yeah. So it's like you know these things. You know they, this is what they should be doing. You know, like uh, these people who uh, are going around making threats to people. And uh, also, you know, making kind of like, you know, uh, um, you know just like uh, doing these kind of things. They, you know, of course, they should be, you know, uh, having their guns taken away from them. And they should be getting getting help as well so that they don't harm anybody, you know? Right. Like, it's like, it's uh, you know, these people, guys, these people need to be stopped. And I just feel like the status quo doesn't do enough to uh, help these you know help these people out. I'm glad that the, some states now... Uh, take it upon themselves and say, you know what? I don't, I don't believe a lunatic should be armed with an AR-15, or I don't believe some guy who is a white supremacist or some guy who is uh, fueled by hatred should own a death machine. I think obviously those things should uh, obviously no no longer be uh, in in his, in his in his property. And so yeah. I'm really glad that you know states are going to walk in and say, hey, enough is enough, and you know. Because, uh, I mean, did you see that screenshot that was going around of uh, some person's teacher training? And uh, it was, uh, like, a hunk of meat. And it was, like, the training was basically to kind of, like, uh, to stop a bullet wound from, like, bleeding. Oh, did, you, did, you, did, you, did you see that? Yeah, I was on the yeah, air. That was, 
Uh, I can't remember exactly who it was, but uh, David Hogg, who is uh, one part of the March of Our Lives uh, campaign, he retweeted it, and uh, I believe. And so, yeah, like it's just it's uh, it's it's incredible. So we've got on a series yeah, it's, that, it's uh, awful. It's oh yeah, it's uh, I can't believe like you know this is this is America in 2019 that uh, you yep. know, you're having to teach our teachers to like you know hold bullet wounds, you know, to uh, stop bleeding and things like that. It's just, it's just crazy. You know, like, uh, here's the thing. I recently did uh, first aid training uh, for, for work. And I guarantee you there's, like, uh, not once did, you know, we did we walk at a scenario about someone being shot. You know, it was mainly, uh, you know, cardiac arrest, uh, breathing difficulties, choking, things like that, you know? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, I, I'm thankful to live in a country where those scenarios are not played out, you know? And that should be the same thing for, you know, not... not uh, you know, for any state in the United States of America, as far as I'm concerned, you know, we should not, we should not have a society that lives under the fear of a gun, in my opinion, because that doesn't sound, you know, they say, oh, you know, owning a gun is all Second Amendment and freedom and stuff like that. No, it ain't, motherfucker. It ain't. You know, it's uh, if anything, it's uh, this isn't freedom. It's living in fear, for God's sakes. So, yeah. Uh, you know, people are still gonna defend it, though. Yeah. Okay. Um. Switching gears again, um, I want to talk about the furious parents of uh, Lewis uh, in uh, in the south of England, and uh, this was uh, something that uh, caught my attention. I mean, here's the thing about this, and I know things are going to be very different here in the United States of America compared to here, but uh, basically, in this country here in the UK, we have school uniforms. We have a school uniform policy uh, for the vast majority of schools. And so you have to go buy a blazer, you have to go buy a shirt, you have to go buy a pair of pants, you have to go buy a skirt, things like that. You basically, so uh, all, all that stuff you have to uh, obviously get before obviously your kid goes to school. Uh, so imagine the fury of uh, parents who are currently protesting at a Lewis uh, Priority School over gender, gender neutral uniforms. And so uh, the there was a massive protest of uh, 150 people. Uh, who uh, were very happy with the idea that, uh, you know, there were going to be uniforms uh, that uh, we're going to have... Uh, let me just uh, see if I can get the uh, full thing up. Because Oh, I see. This is just the... Uh, I do apologize, everybody, because I, I had an article for this, but uh, this is just like the... Uh, the There was like a, a process of like 150 people that turned up at this school, and uh, it doesn't really talk about... Um, at least, uh, yeah, sorry about, sorry about this, everybody, but basically, it's like, as far as I'm aware, like, gender-neutral uniforms, are basically, there's no, uh, I, you know, there's like, there's no, there's no way of identifying, like, if they're a boy or a girl, something like that, basically, they're just kind of, like, the same, and mm-hmm. so, apparently, that's caused a row amongst parents about that, because now, they, I think they have to buy more, buy new uniforms, I think it is, and so, yeah, that's caused a bit of a, uh, stink up in this school, and uh, I've got to be honest with you. I mean, like, uh, I don't like school uniforms anymore. Like, as far as I'm concerned, I would rather we uh, we saw the back of school uniforms. I think they're old fashioned, and I think yeah, uh, yeah I think I'd rather see. Um, I'd rather not see them at all, to be quite honest with you. And so, uh, you know, then uh, they say that oh well, you know, uniforms. Uh, you know, make sure that uh, you know the kids with the expensive clothes and the kids, w- the poor kids with all the poor clothes. Make sure that you know you can't identify them and stuff like that and it's like well you know you're just masking the issue like you know you you, you should bring everyone up in the environment it's like hey there's people out here who are who have who you know aren't doing as well as you are and you should have some kind of sympathy for them you know 
Like, yes. it's just like, you know, and if anything, uniforms mask that issue. You know, it doesn't address it at all. Like, you know, in, in my opinion. But if anything, it just kind of like, so it kind of hides it, you know? And so, uh, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I'd just scrap uniforms and I'd just say, look, you know, uh, if you're worried about, uh, you know, your, you know um, kids coming to, coming to school with, uh, you know, clothes on as, uh, you know, as expensive as the other kids of it, like, you know, you should make that a subject, you should make that a, uh, a, you should make that a, a, a teaching moment in you know in your in your school. Like you know, not everybody is uh, doing as great as you are, and uh, you make, the more you make kids realize that, the, the more they're going to realize, oh hey, you know, I should be very lucky where where I am now, and you know, I should probably stop looking down upon people. Instead, basically, it's like, oh no, all these kids are the same. You know, they're not. They're all there. There's no differences amongst them. All like you know, like uh, there's no there's no issue here. Like, you know, just continue living in your uh, lovely little uh, middle-class or upper-class bubble and, uh, you know, you never see, you know, the other side, you know. It's, uh, well, I, I, yeah. hate, I hate school uniforms. I'd rather see the back of them square on us with you. But, uh, yeah, I, I could definitely understand that. Yeah. Anyway, um, I wanted to bring this up as a subject because um, I, I told all my friends about this and uh, I was quite surprised actually to see this myself. Um, so I found an old backup drive that I had and uh, I found all my old DOS games. Oh, nice. Yeah, good old MS-DOS. And so um, in my collection right now, I have uh, a one, one game called Theme Park. And uh, did you have Theme Park in America? I don't. Um, we have uh, Roller Coaster Tycoon. Yeah, well, yeah, theme park was basically it was like you build your own theme park, and so you yeah. like you started off with and like Roller you know, Coaster the... Tycoon was essentially that you build your own theme park. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, wasn't Roller Coaster Tycoon done by the same people who did Transport Tycoon? Uh, yes. I think, yeah, it was cool. Microprose. Yeah, like, yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. And so yeah, like a theme park was pretty fun. Uh, I have something like the original Doom. That, that, like, you know, not, not the Doom that you can, like, download now, like, and you have to, like, play, pay, like, you have to get, like, a DRM and things like that. You know, we're talking about, you know, proper on the CD Doom, you know, like, uh, the 1990 Doom, pretty much, you know, in the 90s Doom. So, uh, that was pretty cool to uh, have a look at that as well. And also, I had a very obscure game, and to be honest with you, actually, I actually already have this on CD. So, uh, there's a game uh, that's actually now considered abandonware now. It's called Hammer of the Gods. And it's actually like a, a, a myth, uh, a mythology, Viking mythology game where you play as Vikings and like you do like all these uh, mythical quests to like uh, appease all the gods. And then finally you get to Odin and then you get to uh, something happens at, that, at the very at the very end. I've actually completed that game once so before. I can't remember exactly what uh, I did to do it, but uh, which makes me feel like I want to play it again. So like, uh, you know, like uh, hooray for short term memory. I can actually remember. I can actually play enjoy games again that I've already played. So because uh, I can't remember how they ended. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yay for replay but yeah there was that and um yeah i just come across like also uh, the original warcraft games as well uh, warcraft orcs and humans uh, war warcraft 2 tides of darkness and uh, you know do you, do you remember the good old days when uh, it wasn't world of warcraft you know like you know like, you had to have like a proper strategy game where you had to build your own like city and things like that and had to go attack orcs and humans and things like that yeah, you know, yeah. Like, the, the, the proper warcraft games I consider them, and uh, I'm probably going to get some hate for that too. I, mean, I know there's some fans of World of Warcraft. I do know about that, but uh, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, those, those were the great days of Warcraft for me. Like, and then Starcraft came along and obviously blew that out, out, out of the water. But still, you know, I love Warcraft and I love Warcraft too. You know, they were they were they were beloved games of mine, and uh, yeah, and also there was Duke Nukem 3D too. So, uh, which. Uh, I already owned pretty much on uh, on Steam anyway, but uh, still kind of cool to like find the original 
original DOS game. So uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, a lot of fun DOS games, and so we well, yeah, are going to be playing. Will I be playing for Aaron plays? Maybe. So you know, keep an eye out for uh, if I'm there on Thursday evenings. I'll let you know. But uh, yeah. Uh, maybe maybe I'll start playing DOS games again for uh, for Iron Blaze. And that is until I get my proper cabling for uh, all my game consoles, so I can actually start playing my consoles. Like, uh, and not have to like wait like a second every time I press the B button to jump. You know, kind of like the uh, the ill-fated Super Mario World. Uh, let's play. So uh, that's, yeah, that's that's awesome. <laughs> cool. Um, although we never look back on a episode that uh, we did for Dream Machine, and that was the uh, Dream Machine top five best and top five worst look back. And so, um, for those of you who do not know, me and Patricia did uh, a series called Dream Machine, and uh, we looked at we basically just reviewed every single DreamWorks animation film. And uh, I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed it, as did Patricia as well. I'm so yep. pretty sure. Oh, actually, no, I, I despise it. It was the worst thing ever. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for backing me up there, Patricia. But, uh, uh, so, anyway, going back to Dream Machine. So, we did the top five best and top five worst. And uh, one thing I would like like to have done, and uh, I think maybe it might be a good time to talk about this now, because it's been a couple of weeks since we released the episode. And uh, we look at back at, like, what the top five best and top five worst were. And uh, I'm just wondering, do you still agree with them all? Uh, um, in that? Or is well, it still something see. that you kind of dispute? I mean, I think I mentioned this in the top five best that I personally thought that How to Train Your Dragon 2 was slightly better than the first one, even though that the first one was a little bit higher. And I thought that Prince of Egypt should have definitely been on the top five list. And um, I think that we did talk about with some of the top five worst DreamWorks films, like with the honorable, the dishonorable mentions that there were some that shouldn't even be there. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the honorable mentions were basically just kind of like they didn't make the top five, which I was pretty, you know, grateful for. Some, I mean, too, I look at the honorable mentions again, and let's see if we still agree, see if we still feel like it's either too harsh or too worse. So, um, we'll start from number ten. So, uh, number ten in the list was oh, sorry, on a second, yeah, number ten in the list was Joseph King of Dreams, which we we agreed with basically was too harsh. Yeah, it was. Thought. And uh, then the next one after that was Penguins of Madagascar. Yeah. Um, to be fair, um, with Penguins of the Madagascar, I think we did talk about how um, it was kind of like mismanaged. Like there were some characters that shouldn't have been focused on or should have had a little bit more focus on. We talked about the other group that were a lot more competent than the Penguins themselves. And it did get a little bit strange after a while. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, uh, it's, uh, again, I think it was the fans that kind of dragged it over the line, really, because the fans don't really like the Penguins of Madagascar. I mean, I think we were a bit more forgiving of it. Yeah, because we, because uh, I gave it a 5 and you gave it a 4. And then I think the fans kind of gave it a 4.9, I think it was. And so, uh, yeah, the final score kind of walked out as uh, 4.6 at the end, mm-hmm. so, uh, the fans and me were a bit more forgiving of it, and Patricia, you weren't, so, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've already mentioned this before, that I was already familiar with the Penguins of Madagascar, because I already knew about the animated series on Nickelodeon, and I did talk about that continuity from the TV show and the movie didn't really match, and it's like, you know, which one are you gonna focus on, it's like, the, this, the whole franchise is a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, next one after that was Shrek the Third, 
So, uh, wait, wait. Yeah, and I know, I know. A lot of people actually thought that Shrek the Third was worse than Shrek Forever After. I did a poll, and most of them said that Shrek the Third was worse because, um, you know, coming from Shrek 2 and then going over to Shrek the Third was a massive letdown, and they felt that the jokes weren't as funny. And at least with Shrek Forever After, they felt it was like a proper conclusion. But as mentioned before, Aaron and I thought that the fourth one was worse. Yeah. Interesting. Actually, I'll tell you what, actually, that does add up because uh, if you want to guys want to know, uh, Shrek the Third got 5.3 and Shrek Forever After got 5.1. So, uh, I'd say that doesn't actually make most sense, actually. So, yeah, like, uh, so the fans still, well, mind you, we, we polled all the fans again, pretty much, for Dream Machine, and they actually, they actually, uh, you know, contradicted that because uh, Shrek the Third got 5.3 and uh, Shrek Forever After got 5.1. So, even the fans still would have, even that uh, contributed to uh, the top five best, top five worst, still kind of like disagreed with that. So, mm. uh, yeah. Um, so after that was B movie. So <laughs> Oh, B movie. The weird movie that Seinfeld decided to pitch to Spielberg and saying, "Hey, it's me as a bee. Mm-hmm. Let's make an animated movie about it." And yeah. Spielberg was like, "Okay." Yeah, and like uh, like you know, did Rover J- Dangerfield not like uh, give any hallmark any warnings of how bad this could be? Yeah, like exactly. Like they should have definitely uh, taken a cue from uh, Rover Dangerfield, in which just because you make a mo- animated movie based off of a comedian, it's not going to always work. Did you want to find also really weird about Rover Dangerfield? Like that's supposed to be a Christmas movie. Yeah, there is a scene that does take place around Christmas, but for the most part, it's just a movie with Rodney Dangerfield just saying a whole bunch of his jokes. And uh, from what I remember in the animated Anarchy pod that this was originally supposed to be a rated R film, but a lot of uh, the jokes were not appropriate, especially um, since they were going to animate this, and so they just watered it down to being a kid's film. Yeah, you know, so, I imagine how actually, I mean, I don't know, do you think it would have ended up being kind of like, you know, Eight yeah, Crazy, like, eight crazy Nights rather than... What would the rated R film be like? Would it be akin to something like... I, like, don't, I don't think it would have been that great. Do you remember um, Adam Sandler's Eight Crazy Nights? Like, uh, it probably would have ended up being that. I think probably. Yeah, I, 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 you know, it would be interesting if we were to be in an alternative universe in which, what would it be like if we did see the rated R version of Rover Dangerfield? Would it be like something that Ralph Bakshi would have done? I have no idea. Yeah, I, I don't think so. Um, and then the final dishonorable mention was Over the Hedge. Yeah, and it kind of deserved it. Let's be honest. It was just too over the top and insane and not a lot of cohesionness and cohesiveness and uh, the only thing that we remember was the squirrel everybody else was just so boring mm-hmm. so i mean those are the final scores of this honorable mentions and so um let me have a look at uh because there were some movies that we actually didn't get a chance to actually talk about in this because obviously they didn't kind of like go like they didn't really come under um you know, uh, uh, participation awards or anything like that. So some of them kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit. And so uh, in that list, I believe we include... Um, let me have a look at this. So um, I think we're going to miss out on Kung Fu Panda 3. We didn't really talk about that. I don't no, think we didn't. Much, no. And then Madagascar. Oh, we didn't, actually, one thing about the uh, the five best, five worst, we didn't talk about Madagascar nearly at all. Yeah, in, in fact, I'm actually curious about, you know, where it was in the 
um, honorable mentions because you didn't even mention it at all. No, exactly, exactly. So, uh, Madagascar, the first movie actually came in thir- actually came in twelve. Oh, okay. So, so and uh, then the other one came in fifteenth, and then the last one came in about seventeenth. So okay. They didn't basically. They basically just stayed in the middle and didn't really get talked about. Really. So, and uh, the other ones that we kind of kind of brushed over, I guess, was. Uh, um, no, I think we talked about uh, Sinbad. Actually, do we talk about Sinbad in that episode? Not, not really. I mean, we barely talked about Sinbad. We barely talked about um, uh, Monsters vs. Aliens or Rise of the Guardians. I mean, there were some movies that we didn't really give as enough attention to. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, well, obviously because they didn't fall under any of our criteria basically for the episode so uh not yeah not even close you know you know what? and uh, for some of them we might even revisit for another podcast series we're thinking of doing so uh you know yeah we, we might we might you never know stay tuned for that um okay so uh moving on um so disney has made another announcement for a live action remake and uh, would oh, you... oh really uh it's not even tuesday yet yeah exactly and so uh this one is this movie that's now going to get butchered is disney's robin hood wow um i didn't expect that that's for sure yeah exactly and so i mean like it's just uh i mean uh, um, I mean, we've not really heard anything further from it, from what I gather, and uh, I've only basically just seen a headline from it. But you know, these 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 live action remakes are not, at least in my opinion, are not successful. At least in my opinion. I mean, there, I mean, there have been some exceptions. Like a lot of people really love the Cinderella uh, live action remake, and the Jungle Book live action remake is the one that everybody says is the best one so far. Yeah, just like, because uh, I'm looking at the liking box office at the minute, and so and right now it's, uh, I mean, the, keep in mind, the original Lion King uh, took in, uh, what, it took it's, uh, it's nearly nearly a billion at the box office. It, it has been a billion at this point. Uh, it, it has been a billion at this point. Okay, yes. so, well, the uh, the new one or the old one? Um... The new one, I think. Yeah, the new one has just reached a billion in the box office. Okay, so the new one... Did, okay, so I'll shut my mouth then, because uh, I, obviously it's become more successful than the original film. But, I mean... I mean, I, I mean theatrical-wise, I mean, I, I have to also... Date, we'll have to also find out how well it does, like, when it's released on DVD and Blu-ray and all that stuff. Well, we'll just I would also bring into account the fact that, keep in mind that uh, Disney's The Lion King uh, was, was released in 1996, so we also have to make up for inflation as well. So right, I mean, exactly. like, uh, I mean, it's just out of interest, actually. Um, so yeah, while I'm doing this edition, do you want to tell everyone what's going on the old school lane podcast at the moment? Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, while I do that, I mean, I might as well. I mean, I'll give off my opinions about you know Robin Hood being remade. So now here's the thing. Now I can definitely see them go in the direction of trying to update the Robin Hood story, very similar to what they did to the Jungle Book story. So. For those who don't know, with uh, the context of Robin Hood, it was one of the very first movies that was done after Walt Disney's death. So The Jungle Book was the last film that Walt Disney was working on when he was alive, but he passed away before the movie was even released. And there was a lot of things that were kind of um, delayed and some, some things that they cut off and something that they just couldn't add in that they wanted to because they didn't have the um, a- advice from Walt Disney. And so for anybody, who, especially for the younger audience who's ever seen Jungle Book, it's now considered to be one of the Disney classics. The reason why is because the story is very paper thin and the main protagonist is not the best main protagonist ever featured. The only reason why people still remember it 
is because of the side characters like Baloo and Bagheera and Shere Khan, and also the music. Uh, this was uh, this this was actually, uh, I believe, the last um, bit of music that the Sherman Brothers ever did right before they left. They actually did the song of um you know like the intro song and they also did the outro song and bare necessities was done by somebody else and so that's when the sherman brothers left and they went off to do other projects they did uh they worked for Hanna barbera they worked for other animation companies and they wouldn't be back for disney for at least another like 20 or 30 something years which you if you can believe it okay and i've got i've got these figures now in front of me so okay, um cool. just, just so um just tell me again patricia how, ma- how much money do has uh, the lion king 2019 made in box office at the moment the about a, uh, roughly about a billion dollars roughly about a billion dollars okay um the original lion king that was released in 1994 to convert for inflation has made over 1.7 billion dollars oh damn yeah so as far as i'm concerned you know not as successful as the other film so uh you know yeah so yeah. that was the argument i wanted to make but uh, that was making up for inflation okay so uh, i guess i mean i can't say i'm cheating by doing that can i like no, 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 not at all, not no, at all. Cool. But um, yeah, you're absolutely right that still um, it has, I mean, it has not reached the amount of money that The Lion King has, uh, the original Lion King has made. But like I said, it could change when the movie comes out on Blu-ray and DVD and it's on demand and all that stuff. So numbers could change. Uh, who knows? Anyway, uh, so Robin Hood. Yes, we were talking about Robin Hood. Yeah, so, Robin. so Robin Hood, in, in regards to Robin Hood, um, I believe that, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's going to be more CGI, you know, just uh, more live action, you know, stuff. Like, it just feels like, it doesn't feel very original what Disney is doing. I just feel like, you know, I was watching Pirates of the Caribbean not too long ago. Like, you know, and uh, that just kind of feels like, you know, it, it just feels like Disney right now. I just feel like it just feels like it's kind of like this generic kind of like um, style that I think Disney are currently doing. The only thing I feel like that's unique about Disney right now is Pixar. And we, we, we which is obviously for obvious reasons, but these live action movies, they just there's just nothing attractive about them at all. You know, at least for me, I, I don't feel obliged to actually go out and see one. Mm. To be honest, I just don't feel like there's anything you you know. Yeah, I mean, I know I complain about them all the time, but they just they just feel bland at this point. I don't see any reason why she. I mean, Patricia, tell me why. I mean, what am I missing at the moment on on the live action remakes? Yeah. Well, I mean, I haven't seen any of them to be quite honest. So I have not. I I don't have anything to say. Exactly. Uh, there's nothing. There's nothing about them that makes us want to actually leave our seat and actually go into a theater and uh, pay uh, overpriced for popcorn and things like that and actually go and have an experience with that with that type of uh, thing. There's far other things out there that we'd rather go do. Other than yeah. Yeah, and I just want to let everybody know that uh, if you have seen these live-action remakes and you like them, that that's perfectly fine. But, um, yeah, I haven't been able to be invested enough as of yet to say, like, oh, man, you got to watch this. It's, it's really good. It's better than the original. Now, I, I can understand something like Cinderella and with The Jungle Book and with Pete's Dragon. And, and I want to tell people why this, because um, I was mentioning this about uh, The Jungle Book, that The Jungle Book is not one of the Disney classics that people, like, fondly cherish. 
flourish. Uh, because the story is pretty thin and the main protagonist and all that stuff. And there's been a bit of things that were featured in the 60s that haven't held up in 2019. So I can understand them, you know, removing some of the stuff and adding in some stuff that were very important. Same thing with Cinderella. A lot of people felt that Cinderella was nothing more than a female stereotype who just waited for her prince to come and all that stuff. And, you know, she could have been a you know, a kick-ass uh, print, uh, you know, a, a princess who's like, oh, I don't need to take this abuse. I'm just going to leave the house and whatever. And the talking mice is like, oh, you know, you could have removed them and, and, you know, gave character development to others that mattered. I can understand why people will make that um, uh, argument about that. And also with Peach Dragon, let's be honest, Peach Dragon was never really that good. Mm-hmm. I mean, the animation was fine, but everything about it was just not really that good at all. And from what I've heard, the remake is actually a lot better, which I can understand those because those are properties that while they're classics for some people, others feel like that they could have been done a lot better. And with Robin Hood, it's kind of like a similar case in which this movie, believe it or not, was not received well by critics at all. They penalized it because of the repeated animation from Snow White and the... and um. Uh, uh, what was I going to say? The Jungle Book. And then they would do the same thing again for the Aristocats. And uh, pretty much most of the uh, animation um, movies throughout the 60s and 70s, they would just like reuse animation. Uh, they would Xerox it. That's when the process was starting. And Robin Hood has since gained a bit of a uh, cold following. It, it actually, a lot more people like Robin Hood now than they did back 40 years ago. And there's a lot of people who are saying like, you know, the original Robin Hood hasn't held up. It's like maybe some of the songs are a, a bit dated or the characterizations are a bit dated. And remember there was that deleted scene in the last act of Robin Hood in which um, uh, you, we got to see Robin Hood going up against Prince John and that scene was uh, cut for uh, you know time constraints and maybe they could have added that back in and Maid Marian was like removed completely from the third act maybe they could add her back in uh, you know, the story of Prince John and uh, King Richard like th- th- there was a whole talk about like um, King Richard fighting on the crusade and all that stuff. So maybe they could add more stuff about that. And it actually will be interesting because believe it or not, this was the only uh, animated film from Disney that all of the characters are anthropomorphic animals until Zootopia came along. So I'm actually curious to see how this is going to turn out. If they are going to remake Robin hood with like the anthropomorphic animals, it's like, I'm actually curious because for a lot of people, they say, oh, this is going to look great. But then others are going to be like, yeah, this is going to look like a bunch of people in like, you know, those big uh, bulky animal costumes. Imagine imagine if they did it in the style of Fantastic Mr. Fox. That would be amazing, by the way. That would be great. I mean, if they could do it like stop motion, I would love to see that. That the football scene with Lady Cluck and where she's like, you know, uh, she has like the the golden arrow and she's being bombarded by all of those rhino guards and everybody's just like crashing all over to the place. That would be so amazing. I'd love to see that happen. Oh my goodness! It just it just began. Mind you, it, it would be kind of deadpan though. If they when when they did, if you kind of like it, yeah, just, that, yeah, yeah that, exactly, yeah, because a lot of people were critiquing that. Um, oh, that, uh, what you gonna call it? Um, Lion King looked incredibly deadpan and there was no expressions. Robin Hood has a lot of expression. It is more like a slapstick comedy. It's something that you see in Looney Tunes where the, yeah, it, it, it's really- well, I mean, I mean, there's, I mean, at least with deadpan, at least it looks like original deadpan with, uh, with Robin Hood. You can see that they did kind of re, they did kind of like redraw, uh, all the, uh, like some, not all the scenes, but some of the scenes, 
Like if you know, like uh, when you see, uh, uh, um, what's her name? Um, you know the uh, the female lead. Uh, you can see that uh, she's been kind of redrawn in the same way that uh, Snow White was. And uh, like oh yeah, like, yeah, Maid Marian, yeah, Maid Marian, yeah. yeah, and so like uh, there was a lot of that going on, you know, and so it was yeah. Uh, and we already mentioned on why they they were using a lot of rotoscoping and they yeah. recreated scenes. Um, they also recreated scenes from the Jungle Book. Mm. They recreated scenes from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Aristocats did the exact same thing where they recreated scenes from the um, the from Robin Hood. So they did this a lot back in the sixties and seventies. Yeah, you can really tell like uh, Disney had uh, kind of you know. Uh, was not around anymore yeah exactly way. and throughout the 70s uh, a lot of the the you know most of the nine old men were about to retire and the new generation was being passed the torch and they didn't and you know the first time that they got to really shine was the black cauldron and long story short you already know what ha that ha turned out to be and throughout the 70s it's like uh, a lot of people just kept thinking to themselves you know what would walt do they kept thinking about like what would walt do what would be something that walt would enjoy or put together and that's why throughout the 70s and 80s, um, you know, the movies were not much of a success. That's why Ralph Bakshi throughout the 70s and Don Blue throughout the 80s, that's when they rose and they got to show everybody that, hey, you know, Disney are not the only ones who can create these animated features that can generate towards uh, a mainstream audience. Mm -hmm. I, I say, if it wasn't for the Renaissance era, I think we'd still be talking about, you know, uh, when are they going to thaw out Walt Disney from his cryogenic sleep? Oh jeez, yeah. are we still? Are people still talking about that? Yeah, uh, yeah, no, that, yeah. Once these things start, Patricia, they do not go away. I guarantee you oh, that. Geez. Yeah. Um. So anyway, um. There's, there's mind you, like we're talking about recreating uh, ideas. You know, you, do you know it'd be really hilarious if Disney did this? And uh, are you familiar with a historical figure called Lady Govina? Lady Lady Godiva. Yes, Godiva. I am. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Imagine Disney's idea to do an animated film about that. Oh, God, no. <laughs> you have one for the nudists to enjoy, you know? So. Yes, yes. Uh, we're going to have a movie featuring a naked woman riding on a white horse. Yeah. Oh, man. That would I, be... mean, it, it, I mean, I can, I can understand something like that for Fantasia in the 40s, but not in today's Disney. Absolutely not. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Well, uh, until, uh, I'm, I'm sure Disney will somehow stretch it. Uh, you know, somehow like uh, maybe they maybe do like kind of like Alien, where you know they don't actually show the show the title character and they just only like show like I don't know silhouettes or something like that. I don't know. But, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. Your, your guess is as good as mine. Oh, actually, I, didn't, I think I talked about this actually on the show. Uh, did you know? Uh, did you hear about that story a couple of months back about uh, the uh, high, when that high school that did that um, you know production of Alien? Yeah, 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 I actually did talk about that. Yeah, actually, and uh, did we talk about it on the show? I can't remember if we did. No, uh, no, no, we never did talk oh, about cool. that on well, the show. Let's, let's talk about it now. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I've actually seen it. Uh, it was they saw someone posted it up on YouTube, and uh, I have to say, it was a, a great. It was the encore performance, by the way, and I have to say, it was a phenomenally good job. So uh, I can see why uh, Weaver kind of went over and uh, you know said said thank you to everybody because you know it was a it was a very good production. So uh, yeah, good on all those kids for doing that. You know, mm -hmm. so like, uh, I do though have one slight critique, and I know it's a bit unfair because obviously it's a high school play, and so of course you know I'm not I'm not going to criticize any of that, but there is one thing that kind of bothers me about it, and uh, you know, in the original Alien, we didn't actually get to see the alien, if no, you really think about it, no, not at least until the very end, and right. uh, so like you know for us like the alien was still this mystery 
of like you know what mm-hmm. the hell is this thing and why is it killing everybody and like you know this uh the you know this kind of thing like uh you know it's uh it's unfortunately that you know like series like criminal minds appears to be you know picking up this they picking up this the thing of like you know having like you know murderous psycho things you know killing people and stuff like that unfortunately like it's uh something that alien seems to have kind of like created in other genres but uh um i mean in regards to alien in regards to it being you know this sci-fi horror thing you know the one thing you didn't see is um alien itself you know but uh in the high school production i i get they probably had to do it just for time you know because obviously you know they can't just have this thing kind of like hiding in the background the entire time, which I thought they were going to do, you know, I thought they were just going to see, like, an arm or a head or something like that, but, uh, you know, like, uh, they, at one point, uh, to fill up time in the production, they actually had the full alien costume just come out and walk amongst the crowd, which, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of bothered me a little bit, it's kind of like, you know, well, in Alien, they wouldn't have done that. Like, you know, they did it in the original shots, yeah, I admit, there's some cut scenes where they actually show you the full alien, but it didn't appear in the original movie, you know? So, right, but besides, right. besides that, everything else was uh, was really fun to watch. So, uh, yeah. And if you see it on YouTube, I definitely tell you to check it out. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I would I would uh, recommend for people to check it out for sure. And um, it it was so much of a of an impression for a lot of uh, people who worked on the movie that Sigourney Weaver actually visited the high school when they were. Um, you know, re-performing it again, and I think Ridley Scott wrote a letter thanking them for the hard work that they did. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, that's how awesome it was. So uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, cool. Okay, 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 okay. We got that. We didn't originally plan to talk about that, but uh, yeah, pretty cool that we actually got to do it. So cool. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, moving back on to uh, the stuff before we talk about on the show. Um, did you hear about the reaction to Steven Universe the movie? I heard uh, some people. It's actually split down the middle. I've seen some people like it and some people don't. Yeah, uh, Spinal's getting quite a lot of uh, Spinel's getting quite a lot of um, uh, praise, apparently. Yeah. And uh, I can see why because you know you look at that uh, that that character and it's like, oh wow, she looks like she's from Cuphead. You know, like it's like you know they took some really good time in like animating who who she was and uh, giving her a unique style. You know, mm-hmm. so she was a great antagonist, I believe, for the. Uh, for the movie and uh, but mind you there is one comment which i saw on twitter which is kind of making me feel like it's a bit stretching a little bit so do you want me to read this out yeah sure go ahead okay so there's a tweet out there at the minute on twitter and it says spinel's backstory is going down as one of the saddest backstories in animation history Mm -hmm. i seriously debate that Okay. Okay, so, I mean, like, because you said his backstories in animation history, I mean, like, uh, I mean, we could go through quite a lot of sad backstories, to be quite honest with you. I mean, like, uh, I mean, for example, like, uh, I can bring up one right now, like, uh, uh, Jesse from Toy Story. Like, you know, yeah. she, she had a very sad backstory. You mm-hmm. know, like, uh, she had a, an owner that she adored. And then her owner abandoned her. And not to say that's not happened to any other toy in Toy Story. I'm not saying that at all. But, uh, you know, when she's that to Toy Story 2, that was, uh, you know, that was a very sad moment. You know, in, in yeah. that. And, uh, you know, Toy Story 2 is not even the tearjerker movie. You know, mm-hmm. like, uh, there's, there's there's a few others out, out there that, uh, you know, definitely do that. But uh, also as well, like, uh, I mean, I guess you, I mean, you kind of saw it all play out. But you can say that Riley's backstory from Inside Out, you could say if you say that's a sad, a sad backstory that she had. Sure. You know, she was, she was plucked out of her, uh, you know, uh, where, where, where she was. And uh, she was thrown into this whole other new place, you know. And uh, then she had like a, an existential crisis. And then she kind of broke down at the end. And everyone was in tears. 
Oh mm-hmm. my goodness. Yeah, yeah, that's only the frustration. I actually saw Inside Out twice in the theaters. You know, oh, like, really? Yeah, I did, yeah, because uh, I felt like I wanted to see it once to kind of like enjoy it, and then I saw it a second time because I, I was doing it for a review that I was going to do for the Aromatic Show many years ago. And it's still there on Mixcloud at the moment as well, if you want to check it out. But long before I did, uh, you know, we did Pixmex. But, uh, um, you know, I had to see it. Like every, both those occasions, there were those audiences, those people in the audience were in tears. You know, mm. like, I don't think Spinel generated that much of a response, in, in my honest opinion. Like, yeah, uh, that, that's fair. Yeah, I'll be honest. You know, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm sure there's fans of Steven Universe. I mean, I totally understand Spinel's back. I mean, she was abandoned for thousands of years. I mean, I'm sorry if I'm going to spoil it, territory here for those who haven't seen Steven Universe the movie. But uh, I mean, she was abandoned there for thousands of years. Oh, that's another thing about this as well. Like Pink Diamond in all this sounds like a re- she sounds like a real bitch in all of this. Really, yeah. I think that's another I think thing that's uh, people are really complaining about the fact that uh, you know they make her sound so nasty in this. Like she, she pretty much abandoned her her best friend for thousands of years and made her stand there as part of a game. Like that's diabolical. Mm-hmm. You know, like it is. Uh, yeah, it is. So as far as I'm concerned, you know, uh, Steven Universe movie, yeah, it has its pluses and has its minuses. But uh, yeah, in regards to Spinel having like this saddest backstory, animation history, nah. I'm sure we can dig out so many more. I'm sure there's animes with far sadder backstories than Spinel. Oh, yeah. I mean, involving with, like, parents dying, um, you know, having to deal with post-traumatic stress disorder, rape. That's a, that's a, that's a big one in anime uh, for some. Um, then there's also, um, let's see, uh, feeling neglected um you know working hard but not able to be able to full out their potential compared to a lot of other people especially if it's a shonen anime that involves with a lot of fighting yeah there's a lot of it yeah it's like it's like so in regards to you know uh, you know going down to saddest backstories animation history sorry we are gonna walk on that i'm sure we can find a lot sadder than that to be quite honest with you so. Maybe they meant that for like a Western cartoon, or maybe in recent years. I'm not well, sure. Well, then I would argue, like you know, Arnold's parents going away never been seen again. You know, until the Jungle movie, which we which we re- resurrected. You know, like uh, I mean, you could say that that was a, a lot of people cried at that. Sure. You know, yeah. Exactly. So you know, uh, there's that. I'm trying to think of other ones as well. Like, uh, I mean, I guess we could say Patty's mom and Doug. You know, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. and there's that, that too. And then I'm trying to think of other sad backstories that we could probably put our fingers on. Yeah, I'm sure there's loads of them out there. Well, I mean, sad. let's talk about, like, you know, with Zuko and with Azula from Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh, yeah, there's that too. And uh, also, oh, and also there's um, um, his, you know, uh, Zuko's uncle as well with his uh, son. Yeah, Iroh. Yeah, yeah, Iroh, yeah. Who, uh, who who died in the war? You know, like mm-hmm. uh, there's that too, and also there's uh, you know Ang himself with his uh, the fact that he's pretty much the last airbender in the world, mm-hmm. pretty much at least the last genuine one anyway, unless he decides to train other ones. Well, yeah. I mean, don't forget about Tenzin, his son, and um, oh yeah, then we and then he had like his three kids, and then uh, around season three, that was when Korra released the spirits from the spirit world, and that's when they that's when a lot of people started gaining the ability to airbend. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, like, uh, so that I mean, I would just say to everybody, look around, you know, like uh, there's a lot of sad backstories out there, you know. 
So. Yeah, but um, I'm sure that maybe if we were to take a look at um, Spinell's backstory from Steven Universe and maybe compare it to some of the more recent ones, maybe I could – I mean, I'll be interested to see if maybe, um, you know, because uh, we're reaching 2020 pretty soon. And I'm actually curious about, like, people discussing about, like, the, you know, the top 10 saddest moments in, like, the 2010s for animation. Like, we could, I mean, people will talk about, like, Marceline or um, maybe, uh, you know, characters like, uh, you know, with uh, Pearl or it was Steven and uh, yeah, I'm actually curious about like uh, for anybody out there who may be putting that list together about you know what are their thoughts on it but in the meanwhile I think we'll just probably leave it as inconclusive yeah anyway if you ask me about my favorite Steven Universe character or Garnet's my favorite character so mm. uh, yeah I love Garnet yeah so uh-huh. like yeah, I love Estelle you know she was uh, she uh, she did the New York song you know in New yeah, yeah, York yeah yeah I actually met Estelle a few, uh, almost a year ago. I am uh, my so cousin jealous. And, uh, my cousin and I, we, we met her at a convention, and she was really nice. Oh, she is really nice, isn't she? I, the fact is she adores her fans. You know, you've seen that. Have you seen her, like, her music video she did for uh, Stronger Than You? And like yes. she, she's like, on the stage, and she's, like, she's singing along with everybody. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. She, she, she's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Um, and to sign off our show, um, happy 20th anniversary to Cyber 6. Yes, indeed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, do you want to take the floor on this one? Okay. Yeah. So for those who are not familiar with Cyber 6, so Cyber 6 was based off of a comic book series. Um, okay. So here's the thing. It was a comic book series written by two Argentinian men that was published by an Italian comic book, uh, company that was animated by a Japanese studio and released on a Canadian television channel. Who says the multiculturalism doesn't work? <laughs> yeah, like it, it'll wrap your mind as to all of the complexities of all the the countries that were involved with this. So, Cyber Six is in, is about a genetically created superhero by the name of Cyber Six, who um, is recently moved over to a small South American city called Meridiana. And she uh, she disguises herself as a male school teacher named Adrian Seidelman so that she can be able to just live a normal life and try to see if maybe she can be able to, um, you know, pursue everything that she went through. Because she was experimented by an evil mad scientist by the name of Dr. Von Reichter. And... Uh, he was producing a whole bunch of like experiments so that he can be able to create henchmen to take over the world. And the cybers were one of the first, but because they thought they had cognitive thought, he destroyed them with the exception of cyber six and another one, but I'm not going to spoil it for those who have never seen it. So then uh, he fought, then she finds out that Von Reichter was the one who was responsible for all the crime that's going on. And the one who's behind it is his son slash clone Jose, who happens to be a little child. And he's, like this goose stepping demanding cruel selfish uh, person who's committing a whole bunch of crimes from releasing a whole bunch of monsters brainwashing the police force um uh robbing banks and counterfeiting money and it's it's crazy so the whole point of the series is that we have 
Cyber Six who's trying to just make sure that they don't uh, take over Meridiana, that monsters don't destroy everything. And she does this alongside with her panther sidekick known as Data Seven. And she has a companion known as Lucas who also works at the same high school as, as uh, she does under the disguise of Adrian. And also she starts uh, falling in love with him as soon as she gets more trust. And there's a bunch of other characters as well. But yeah, it's an amazing show. If, yeah, I would, I think more people would be more familiar with it because of its opening theme song, which is also really, really good. It's one of the best opening theme songs that featured in an animated series during the 90s. And um, unfortunately, this show didn't really catch on um, in America, especially, mostly because it aired on Fox Kids. This was when Fox Kids was starting to kind of dwindle down in its popularity. Four Kids uh, started becoming really popular with Kids WB and their release of anime. And um, that when Four Kids... Uh, uh, was like creating like hit after hit after hit in Kids WB. Fox Kids tried to do the same thing with them trying to combat it with Digimon and Monster Rancher, but it didn't really catch on as much as Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh and Shaolin Showdown and Teen Titans and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, it kind of aired at the wrong time at the wrong place. And also, from what I've seen online, the original Cyber Six in America was censored. Uh, so we didn't get the full... Um, experience and also a lot of episodes were not even aired in the US until it was released in 2013 in Hulu and then 2014 on DVD so recently it did celebrate its 20th anniversary and it has a lot of really famous Canadian actors and actresses who portrayed these characters. Kathy Wesseluck you may know her as Spike from My Little Pony Friendship is Magic is Cyber 6 uh, Lucas Amato you may know um him, he's he's voiced by Michael Dobson. You may know him as uh, various uh, Canadian um, uh, portrayals. Like uh, I think that he was, uh, from what I remember, uh, one of the. Oh yeah, that's right. He was Nappa in uh, the Ocean dub of Dragon Ball Z, and he was Bulk Biceps in My Little Pony. Yeah, he's Lucas, and then we have. Um, uh, the uh, I think his name is Luke Dodic. He was the one who voiced as Jose, and he was in like various anime, like Inuyasha. He was Lan from Mega Man NT Warrior, and he was that little kid from the awful, awful Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer cartoon movie. And uh, yeah, there's like a ton of others as well. But yeah, it's a really great show that has like beautiful animation done by TMS Entertainment, who also did um, Batman the Animated Series, Spider-Man the Animated Series, um, Superman the Animated Series, Animaniacs, Tiny Toon Adventures, uh, Lupin the Third, Akira. They did so many um, um, animation um you know, movies and TV shows throughout the 90s. And they, they're still working today. They still are doing a lot of, like, Lupin the Third movies. But, um, yeah, their animation style is very akin to something like they did for Batman with the dark shadows and the, and the foreboding atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So I would recommend for people to check it out. I'm actually going to be doing a video about it in my premiere of Heroic Gemmer Junk where I talk about obscure or forgotten superhero TV shows, movies, and maybe I'll delve into the comic book. We'll see. But um, yeah, I, I've been watching it and I've been uh, jotting down my notes and it's been a great experience to go watch it again. Cool. And that's our show. So uh, thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in. So uh, thanks, uh, Patricia, for uh, those uh, amazing uh, enlightenment of uh, Cyber 6. And uh, by the way, if you want to find us on Old School Lane, uh, where can we find you? 
All right, then. Well, I am on Facebook, facebook.com slash old school lane, Twitter, twitter.com uh, slash uh, petty underscore b underscore Miranda, uh, youtube.com slash pbm717, uh, oldschoollane.blogspot.com, as well as oldschoollane.com. Uh, and uh, that's basically it for my social media. Cool. And that is us here for the Aaron Meza Show until next week. So from me, Aaron. And Patricia. Take care and bye for now. See you later.